Hi, we're Phil and Jen, and this is a new season, season yeah. four. We have done three whole seasons, and we took a break. We've been dreaming a little bit, and we're back, and this is our fourth season, and we're calling this season This New Space, which is exciting to me because this is what I wanted to call it in the very beginning in the first season, but uh, we weren't ready for that yet. I don't think any of us are ready for that yet, but <laughs> here we are. And this is episode one, and we're calling it Hinge Times. And before we jump into that, a couple of things. Um, we got some stuff happening. We got some fun stuff up on the site. We've been working on some things um, to offer some resources for spiritual and relational growth, which is really the same thing, just for spiritual growth. Um, in regard to our relationships, one is about parenting. It's called Observations on Raising Humans. It is a five-hour audio. And we toyed with, do we call this an audio book? Do we just call this an audio download? I think we decided in the end that we're just calling this an audio. However... Uh, there are chapters. 23, actually. 23 <laughs> chapters. But in the audio itself, Jen calls it an audio book. So I don't know. I guess we still don't know. <laughs> However, there's 23 chapters and it's Observations on on parenting, on raising humans. And we're obviously not experts. Uh, it's observations and it's commentary on what we've seen and experienced throughout the years. So for the last 19 years between Jen as a teacher in various settings, um, running, creating youth groups through Young Life, through um, churches, uh, leading families in a church setting for 19 years, and then our own experience of raising three humans of our own, we've noticed there's lots of similar questions that arise when it comes to parenting. Things like, what do we do with social media and our phones? How do we talk about sex with our kids? How do we foster an authentic faith in our kids? Uh, how do we not pass on unhealthy cycles from our own lives and from our past? I mean, you can go on and on. There's 23 chapters in this puppy where we give a lot of observations and it's intended to encourage you into a path of intentionality with your own kids and show you how to value your relationship first with your kids and also address difficult parenting issues to equip and empower you in your parenting journey. So that's up. It's on the site. You can check it out. Also, we have a self-guided marriage retreat on the site as well that um, is intended to encourage you with uh, a weekend of intentionality and fun together as a couple. And so it's, um, it's like the marriage retreat that we would want to go on. That's what we created, and we, it's, it's got a series of audios that you can listen to throughout the course of the weekend. It's got a, a workbook as well that could take you through a bunch of fun um, experiences and also um, discussions. And so that is there for you. Um, you can check that out on the site as well. You choose where you want to go and then you bring the retreat with you. That's at philandjenwood.com. And uh, with that said, let's jump in to our fourth season, first episode, Hinge Times. All right. I'm really excited. I feel like it's been a moment since we've been in this seat doing podcasting, which is fun to be back. So uh, we did many hours in the seat, though, <laughs> recording that audio. To get five hours Holy moly. cost a lot of hours I, for I our stopped experience. seeing straight at some point. It's a lot of it. It was weeks. We actually took two weeks to record that. Yeah, but it was 
we're really excited about that and been getting some great fe- great feedback about that as well. So please let us know. Um, give us feedback. We love to hear it. So this season is about this new space that we're finding ourselves in. And Phil's going to begin by reading an excerpt from the book that he's writing right now. And I am so excited about this because up to this morning, he hasn't let me read any of it. And so I'm so excited for this moment. (laughs) He read a little to me this morning and I was like, yes, we are doing this. I've been writing in the secret. And it's it's totally in process. And this is like, you know, obviously rough draft here versions. But he's going to, along the way during the season, be reading lots of excerpts as we explore this new space that we all are finding ourselves in. So with no further ado. It was election day when I finally got away from my study leave. Every year, the church gave me two weeks to pull away from the normal routine of meetings, gatherings, weekly teachings, and standard pastor responsibility in order to study, write, and plan the next season of teaching and vision for the church. I've done this for years, but this one was different. It was already a supercharged atmosphere. This was the day that the next four years of our country would be decided, and the moment that we would find out if Trump would finally be ousted from office. But beyond the political and social upheaval, there was also an upheaval in my soul which stood in stark contrast to the idyllic and peaceful coastline to which I had always retreated from my study leaves. This one was different. I wasn't studying ancient or modern texts or laying out church vision or Bible talks for the months ahead. I went to study my own heart and soul. As I opened myself to the Spirit that day, a stream of consciousness came pouring out onto the pages of my journal. For some time, I had known a shift was happening, and it was happening in layers. The first shift was a growth in understanding, a new way of seeing. It was an evolution of my very consciousness, of how I see and what I see and how I hold it all. It had been happening for years, and in some ways, it has always been happening a growth and trajectory that was seemingly happening all at once, but has really been going on for a very long time, long before I was alive. A number of things I had been reading and thinking about and observing and wrestling with over the years had come to a head. It was November 2019 when it all came together into an explosion of new reality and possibility, like an existential experience of seeing the world through new and different eyes. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll explain that soon enough. For now... Just know that my eyes had opened, and it changed everything for me and how I hold it all. Jesus said there was a chance that we would be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never comprehending. It was as if I could see and hear for the first time. I told Kevin about it. Your mom and I went to visit Kevin and Christine in Honolulu and encouraged them in their church planting. I shared the full depth of insight and growth um, I had experienced one morning with Kevin on the way home from swimming with the dolphins in the I Don't Know Bay on the west side of the island. Kevin silently listened to me share on and on for over an hour and then gently said, as if he had been patiently waiting for me to arrive here, this is a massive shift in consciousness. I'm so interested to see how you're going to continue leading your church as it is while remaining true to yourself now. I didn't know what he meant at the time, but eventually I came to find out. I was just beginning to explore what all of this meant for me and what was possible in my role at the church when COVID began. Managing a year of endless crisis, all of this had to be placed on the back burner. It didn't even 
have a chance to come up again until this moment in my van, door open, legs up, parked on the bluff overlooking the waves at Tamarack Beach in Carlsbad. The second shift was a realization of the slow accumulation of weariness. My experience of American Christian life and culture was exhausting. So much of it was a reflection of the worst parts of our culture, or a counterfeit co-opted by political parties, personal agendas, hypocrisy, power, and ego. This was both on a macro level, with the majority of the American church's participation in in response to the election, the president, the pandemic, immigrants, sexual abuse, and systemic racial injustice, as well as the micro level with my own experience of the thoughtlessness and hostility of certain churches. It wasn't working for me anymore, and it hadn't been for a long time. I just hadn't had the space or the context to name that yet. Something new was being birthed, something unknown, both in the world and in my own soul. Jesus spoke of new wine needing new wineskins. Something undefined beyond the present was calling me forward, and I had to go. More on this later as well. A third shift was a growing desire to try new things. There was other work that we knew we had to do, pushing into new and unknown spaces, not yet organized emerging spaces, leading people into transformational experiences, mind, body, and soul kinds of spiritual growth, writing. It wasn't clear exactly what yet, but I knew we had to try some things. What I realized that day was that in order to move forward, I had to keep going. I couldn't keep going in this form, in this way. We had to release it, a death, a trust, a step into the unknown. This was not the end, it was a beginning, because death always precedes new life. This is the way it works when you embody the life of Christ. After all this processing, I finally put on my wetsuit and jumped in the water to surf. By the time I got in the water, the wind had come up and the surf was bad. It was small, choppy, and uninteresting. I was bummed that I had missed the good surf in the morning when I was processing and journaling all of these things, and while I sat in a bit of frustration, it hit me. The surf's probably better up the coast in Oceanside at the North Jetty of the harbor, or even further up the coast in San Clemente at Old Man's at San Onofre. It's so much work to get out of the water, take off a wet wetsuit, pack up, and drive in search of a different wave, especially not knowing what you might find, and then to put on a wet, dirty wetsuit again to surf somewhere else. But I did, and it was good. I checked Oceanside and pushed on to San Clemente, and the surf was really good. It turns out that the spirit, like the surf, takes its best form in the places and times when the conditions are right. And it turns out that when the spirit moves, you can pick up and follow where it goes. That night when I came home, I sat down on the couch and told Jen that I felt it was time to go. I read from my journal and told her that I felt this season had come to a close, and though we didn't know what was next, it was time to leap again. I'd wanted to leave plenty of times in the past, but she always knew in her intuitive gut that I was just tired and needed a rest and some reorienting. This time she looked me in the eyes and said, you're right, it's time, let's go. It was a shocker. Okay, I said, let's go then. After dinner, Jen put on her AirPods while she was washing dishes and she danced alone in the kitchen. She was light and free, released. She came over to the couch and pulled me up from where we sat put one headphone in my ear, and we danced together in the living room to Ryan Adams, come pick me up. And we laughed, and it was exhilarating. We were free.
man, it just brings me back every time. I cried when you read that this morning because that moment was so powerful. And you're right. I mean, we had discussed, you know, all, of course, like different times throughout 12 and a half years of church planning. And when we took our sabbatical, we had said, like, is this time for us to go? And we always felt like, actually, no, it's not time. And when you came to me in that moment, it was so clear. It was so, That was such a surreal moment. It was. And the song. You chose that song. Of all, I haven't... I don't even remember how choosing it. I feel like it just, I don't know how that song came you. on. <laughs> that, was, that was a powerful moment. I remember the boys sitting there watching us laughing and a little like, confused. What's going, on? <laughs> what's going on? Oh, it's so fun to hear a little bit of what you've been writing. And even though I know it's a work in progress, I'm just, we thought that maybe taking this excerpt, maybe sharing a little bit along the journey could be helpful to people because it's easy to talk about evolutions and changes happening at our, in our culture at like this intellectual high level, you know, the universals, but it's also grounded in our stories in the particulars. And this is a thing happening both in us and in a lot of us and around us. And so it's both individual as well as a corporate and universal reality. So when we say this new space, by nature, it's difficult to define. It's multifaceted. It's this new space we find ourselves in spiritually, this new spiritual landscape where there's a massive decline of religious identity. Many are finding themselves as religious nomads, and yet there's simultaneously this rise in people searching for knowledge about God in seeking out spiritual practices and service to the world. It's this new space we find ourselves in relationally, politically, economically, emotionally, technologically, racially, basically everything. In this new season, we're talking about the universal pattern of human spiritual growth and transformation that's currently unfolding in our world. We'll talk about what to do when we feel stuck or when we've outgrown once familiar places and spaces, as well as into new and unknown places, or when we desire to take a next step, but we aren't sure what the next step could be. This new space that we're finding ourselves in, it also isn't static. In fact, it's changing so rapidly, it's almost hard to keep up on. This new space itself is constantly evolving. We're finding ourselves in the midst of a massive change, and we've been through really massive upheaval. And the cracks in our systems, the fissures that were in our society, they've had this pressure put on top of them, and they were broken open for us to see what was inside. And much has been revealed. Things that were always there, things that were below the surface, but then once there was this pressure put on it, it was like broken open. And now there's this invitation to take a look at the way that we're doing life in every area and reimagine new ways forward. And something new is happening. Yeah, so I'm going to nerd out hard right now. So Jen, you're going to have to... <laughs> All right, here we go. You're gonna have to I'm ready. You're I'm gonna, ready. You're going to have to help me. Um, stop me. And we're just going off of like a few notes here. We just decided, let's just have a conversation as we're, as yeah, we're so jumping into this season. Hinge time, new space. Yeah. And so in the, the first season, off and on, I've talked about this for years now, is um, there's this cycle. And, and lots of people are starting to talk about this now. And lots of people talked about it for the last decade, honestly. But it's becoming more and more popularly aware I'm seeing it posted in social media in different places or hearing different people reference it. All the, the religious leaders that I meet with now 
are, are hyper aware of these cycles that happen in our society. That every 500 years, there's massive reformation that happens in the, the church. There's a religious upheaval. And um, Phyllis Tickle is an author who wrote a book called The Great Emergence, How Christianity is Changing and Why. And she laid all of this out back, I think, in like 2008. And then she, um, she passed away in 2015. So she never saw a lot of the explosive um, realities of the things that she talked about back then. But her book was, was explaining these cycles. And she called it like an attic sale, that every 500 years, the church has like a rummage sale or an attic sale where it, it lays everything out and it, it essentially pushes away the old in order to move into the new. And she she does a brilliant job describing this, like from the time of the very beginning, from the patriarchs to the judges to the kings to the exile to the coming of Jesus. To these are all the five hundred years. Yeah, it's like every five hundred years in the history of the church. To um, from the coming of Jesus to what they called the Great Fall when the Roman Empire fell and Christianity moved into like a monasticism to the great schism where there's a split between the East and the West to the great reformation, which was just, you know, 500 years ago to where we are now. She's essentially saying we're due for another one. And there's a lot of things that happen in the course of those periods, but there's one thing that, that we've never talked about on the podcast that I, I think would be really interesting. Um, and can I clarify something before you do that? Mm -hmm. We're also not just talking about a transformation in Christianity and the way that it's structured, kind of the container that it's held in. But we're also talking about all of society, right? Like there's always societal shifts that go with it. Am I correct? Not yeah. So it's, and, and before I, I talked for like 40 minutes or something on this, the first time we tried to talk about it on the podcast. So I'm trying to figure out how not to nerd this thing to death. Right, just go for it and I'll, but, well, no, I'll I, cut you off. <laughs> I, it, it's, it's a symbiotic relationship. There's great upheavals that happen in the world that happen both in the church, but also in the world as well, because there's an intricate connection between politics, power, and religion. And because those things are so interconnected, I mean, there, there's a, a book that I was just reading that our, our friend Kevin gave me. I'm looking for. He's looking all around the room. It's called Christ and Empire. There's like 4 million books in here, though. And so. it describes, it talks about it as, as like the colonial effects of power, politics, and doctrine and religion. And it, it describes how all the doctrines that we have and that we've had over the centuries, um, the ways that they were actually influenced and impacted by, um, by politics and by power and how it's a quite interconnected system. And as one thing experiences upheaval, all the things experience upheaval. And in fact, she does right. this thing that is so fascinating. There's a footnote in the third chapter on the Great Reformation. I'm just going to read it. Okay. I wasn't going to read this here, but I'm, I'm going to read it. She says, um, she's talking about when these great upheavals happen. Um, she says, historically, they're always connected by some great generalized human illness. So she says, one of the oddities of our cyclical upheavals is that they've always been accompanied by some great generalized human illness, labeled by historians as pandemics. That is so... Dude. She, it's, <laughs> when you read that to me before, like, what? Yeah. How'd she know? She says there'd only um, 
Um, I'm going to skip ahead. So, so she describes the way that, that pandemics were part of reformations in the past, these 500-year cycles, including the last one during the Great Reformation um, with the Black Death that was happening throughout the course of the entire um, upheaval and transition that was the Great Reformation, which led to the world that we live in today. And then she goes on and she says, um, the result of such devastation and human vulnerability was and inevitably always is a generalized reconsideration of the efficacy of the church and the worth of resources that are extended to it. Likewise, there were and always are shifts in the popular as well as clerical understanding about the purposes of religion in general and of its temporal rewards in particular. Whether the recurrence of pandemics simultaneously with the recurrence of ecclesial upheavals is pure coincidence or whether, as some would have it, there's some other connection is for a later and more adequately informed time to determine. Maybe that time is now. At the moment, all that can be said is that there is a co-occurrence between history's pandemics and our times of reformation. That is wild. So fascinating. It's so interesting. It is wow. like, well, because the shifts that are taking place right now, the shifts that are happening, the things that she's talking about, to experience a global upheaval, everything needs to be unseated. Everything needs to be disrupted. Everything needs to be turned over in such a way that it can be re-examined. And what's interesting is that she says these 500-year cycles don't just happen like overnight. It's not like uh, Martin Luther and the Great Reformation went to the Wittenberg door and nailed his theses on the door, and it's like, and we've entered a new epoch. Although we point to that moment as the the definitive moment right. of the Great Reformation, but what they say is that's like the the point of no return of the Great Reformation for things that had been building for 150 years. And so there's like what she calls over these cycles, she says there's there's distinct periods within them. She says there's usually a, around a 150-year period that they call a peri-reformation where things begin to break down and things begin to deconstruct. You've, we, we've heard a lot of this deconstruction Christianity. Mm. This has been going on since like 1900, this deconstruction movement. It's just now getting to the point of popular, full-blown evangelical Protestant acceptance, at least recognition and um, public discourse at like... Yeah, I, I don't really think acceptance is the right word. It's, it's, it's People are having these conversations now on like a very... On a major, there's a majority of people having these conversations as opposed to like this very small minority. Which really started happening maybe before the pandemic and then really exploded oh, throughout yeah. the pandemic. Um, but the, the Perry Reformation, the deconstruction, the, the um, like all of that started around 1900, if you look at some of the changes that started occurring. I mean, in art, in um, Christianity, in politics, um, even a lot of the human rights um, revolutions that were happening throughout the course of the last 150 years, like all of that was part of this Perry-Reformation deconstruction movement. Because remember, it's not just spiritual, it's the whole world that, that experiences right. these upheavals at the same time. And then there's a period of reformation where over, she says like a hundred years, things get put back together in a new way. And then she says for like 250 years, it's like, this is business as usual. This is how it all works. And so where we're at in that process is we're at that hinge point between what she called a peri-reformation and a reformation. When the, the deconstruction comes to an end and there's a new world that's being birthed. And she actually... 
I'm going to read another thing from her book that I found just so fascinating. Because she says that, that often people despair of the upheavals and the reformations. Because mm-hmm. they're really painful. Yeah. And it's all those things we were just describing. Well, these aren't, we talk about how change is hard. These aren't just small changes. We're talking about entire shifting of all of society. I mean, that is, yeah, it's, it's anything but comfortable. Yeah. I mean, we're all, we all, I think can feel that right now. So she says when Christians despair of the upheavals and reformations mm-hmm. that have been the history of our faith, when the faithful resist as so many do just now, the presence of another time of reconfiguration with its inevitable pain, we all would do well to remember that not only are we in the hinge, that's where we got our hinge time, of a 500-year period, but we are also the direct product of one. Mm. We need as well to gauge our pain against the patterns and gains of each of the previous hinge times through which we've already passed. Yeah. And she said, it's especially important to remember that no standing form of organized Christian faith has ever been destroyed by one of our semi-millennial eruptions. That is helpful. Instead, each simply lost hegemony or pride of place to the new and not yet organized form that was birthing. That really is helpful to me. And as we've had these conversations over the last several years, whatever, that's the one thing that gives me a lot of peace is knowing well, this has happened every 500 years or so, and we've always been okay. Like we've always, it always, the thing keeps going. Like we talked about, the river keeps flowing. Yeah. Like spirit is still moving and, and speaking in our lives. And it just looks different. It looks different than it did 500 years ago, of course, because society looks different. Oh yeah. You know, to me that gives, it really does give me some clarity and something to kind of on to as it feels uncomfortable the change yeah like this is how it works so she i'm gonna add one more thing here and maybe i'm over nerding but she does this thing that she calls the cable of meaning oh gosh i feel like you just got really excited i get so excited (laughs) i've been thinking about this for years and years Um, i used to draw it on whiteboards i wish you could see Oh, good. I am videoing this. I'm going to share this later. When I used to... He just like did a little hop in his chair. Lead the church staff over like the Like a little excited hop. When I was there, I'd be like, <laughs> we're going to talk about the cable of meaning. And I would like grab a whiteboard marker and go to the whiteboard. Um, she calls it the holy tether. And she says, um, religion can most easily or accessibly be described as a kind of cable of meaning that keeps the human social unit connected to some purpose or power greater than itself. That's how she describes it. So so she says it's like a little dinghy tethered to a distant dock. The human grouping is secured by that cable. So that's the metaphor. Now the cable itself, she says, you have to imagine it as having many components. And and, and this is what's happening right now. So she says, imagine like a, a fat cable with a waterproof coating and then inside of that waterproof coating is like a mesh sleeve and then she says within that is like three braided strands that make up our entire understanding of the world and its existence. And she says to understand that, she says the outer it's kind of waterproof covering or, or of, of this cable, she says it's called like the story, essentially the story of our community, which she says it, it's like the representation of our shared history, whether that's mythic or actual or assumed, it's the story that we all believe in like as a social unit. Um, 
And so she says it's like the ethos of, of the story that we all recognize. The next one inside of that, um, she would call like the common imagination or like the common agreement, which um, she says is our shared understanding of how the world works and how it's to be imaged and thereby understood. She says it's that common and consensual imagining um, doesn't actually need to even be true. It's just how we all share it. It just has to be the general operating opinion of the group for whom it serves as true and actual. So she says, for instance, a very simplistic idea is back when we considered the world flat, when the majority of people thought the world was flat, um, it didn't matter that it was not flat. It just mattered that we all thought it was flat by the way that we engaged it. And therefore, we structured a worldview in an entire way of living that assumed the world was flat. Therefore, we made it flat. And, and so it's like it didn't have to be true. It's just the way that we have a shared common story and then imagining of the world. And then she says within that are these three braided strands. And she says, um, consider them like. I feel like you just set people off with it. It, don't, it doesn't have to be true thing, by the way. But it's, We're going to need some explanation on that later. So the three strands within are spirituality, corporality, and morality. So corporality is a not often used word. Um, spirituality, she describes as um, the experiences and values that are internal to the individual who composes a society. So it's like your ex like spiritual experiences and values that you hold within. She says morality is on the flip side. It's the external expression of those values um, and, and those experiences that you have within. And she says corporality is like everything that physically makes up that religious space. Everything from, she says, the collar on a priest's um, shirt to doctrinal statements to church buildings to establishing a canon of scripture and saying this is the closed canon of scripture to our hymn books to whatever sex scandals that we have as a church and a grouping of churches to, like she says, it's the physical and overt evidence that a religion is in place. And so what she says is, this cable altogether secures human life to this meaningfulness so well as it is not interrupted or disrupted or taken apart. And she says that sometimes something comes along and will like prick the outer casing of the story and it's, it's fine. It can take on some water, but it will heal itself or something will like prick the inner sort of mesh sleeve of the common imagination. But like the rising and falling of the sea will like, it'll let it work itself back in and it's fine. But she says until that fateful time about once every 500 years when simultaneously the outer casing of the story and that inner mesh sleeve of the shared illusion both take some kind of blow that opens them up. And she says when that happens, there's a hole go straight to this three, three braided strand, three-stranded braid. And she says the inevitable nature of, of humans is that we reach our collective hand into the hole and pull them all out. And she says, we take them one at a time. And she says that um, we pull them up and consider them from every possible angle and at times finger them beyond all imagining and rethink them beyond all imagining. And she says, it starts with spirituality. She says, imagine the last 50 years of this ferociously spiritual but not religious world that exists. She says, um, once we're like satisfied with that, we reach in for the next one and then reach in for the next one. And so she says, eventually, once we've worked them all to death, once things come apart over the pay reformation and once we've 
pulled everything out and began to rethink everything. Which you can see happening right now. I mean, so, it's, so like deconstruction Christianity is simply a part yeah, of just going. Pulling it apart. What is this corporality that we have? What is this morality that we have? What is this spirituality? Like we're just. This is what we do because eventually when we're satisfied and we rethink it, we shove it all back in and we use what you call spiritual duct tape and we wrap that <sighs> thing back up and throw it in the water and it holds for around 250 years. And so like what's fascinating is we're in the midst of pulling all of those things out and she says it takes a long time because it takes a long time for everybody in the world yeah. to do this collectively together and decide on something that moves forward. And she says it usually takes like, she says there's some bloody battles in the the duct yeah. taping of the, the cable to put it back together. The people who represented previous forms that benefited from those systems are really unhappy with people pulling that cable out that now doesn't benefit them. And what we see is these this huge shift where everything's being rethought. I mean, and you see it not just in religion and spirituality, but oh, you, yeah. you see it everywhere healthcare education politics yeah to the great resignation yeah to like a deinstitutionalization of economy with cryptocurrencies on the rise to a fight between a tribal nation state politic and more of a globalized global politic like like you see it happening even in the movement of decolonization of recognizing the role of spirituality and christianity in church with the colonization of the world and then the subjugation of different races of people and the systemic racism that still exists. Like everything is being examined. And the last reformation was decentralizing. But I think this one is more of like a deinstitutionalizing where people are going, okay, how do we undo these things? Or how do we step beyond these things that have been causing these issues? That's what I'm sensing and seeing personally. Mm. It's wild. In a pandemic, like she says, I cannot believe such an upheaval. Yeah, that the whole world's like, all right, now what? I think we missed that pandemic uh, comment back in the day when we read the book because it was it. pre-pandemic, I and never, so we forgot or didn't even realize that was in there. That's wild. Yeah, in our last season, we. We were purposely talking about a lot of the changes that are happening in the world. And we were try, trying to highlight like the positive, beautiful changes that are happening within the midst of this hinge time that we're in. And we talked about different topics like food and mental health and um, how we care for our bodies and the earth and the marginalized and the ways that we structure and interact with our society and our finances and our money and the systems of finance. We were talking about the Bitcoin stuff and, you know, who that the way that we've set up our economy or like the way that money structured, especially in certain countries, how that excludes people or includes certain people. And there's in inequity in that. And, and it might feel like all those things are kind of um, random or not integrated, but to us, it's all spiritual and it's all integrated because like Phil said, you can't separate all these things apart. You can't separate your spiritual life from how you interact with your neighbor. You can't separate your spiritual life from your mental health. You can't separate your spiritual life from what you're putting in your body and the way that you care for yourself or the way that you care for the earth or the way that, you know, that we spend our money or any of these things. It's, it's to us, it's all integrated. And so 
our focus in this next season is going to be on this new space that we're in and and primarily on this in this new like spiritual landscape that we're finding ourselves in. What does it look like? What does it look like to move forward from here? And and to us, we will keep talking about all the things, all areas of life because like our friend Rob Bell says, like everything is spiritual. You can't separate separate out the spiritual and the physical. You can't separate out the spiritual and the emotional or the spiritual and the the mental or whatever you want to call it. And so what we are passionate and excited about talking about in this next season is the beautiful things that are being birthed in this new space that we're finding ourselves in. So we'll be continuing to speak into those things and we'll be taking friends along side of us um, and inviting them into the journey and continuing to have conversations with other people about the stuff that we're seeing that are speaking into this space as well. Yeah, like we're going to be talking about this new space we're all finding ourselves in in every way, which is so vague and difficult to define. But I actually love the way that it was said in that book. It's that not yet organized emerging space that isn't just a religious space, but is actually a global space. There's a not yet organized emerging space that is a new space that we're all finding ourselves in. But for us, even specifically how that relates to faith and spiritual lives and of continuing to help people grow in their spiritual lives and relational lives as we all move forward. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to check out our website, philandjenwood.com for coaching, resources, and events. And if you enjoyed this, feel free to subscribe. You can even leave a review. Keep going. See you next time.